Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Well, what do you know? I managed to do it. I got another episode to you guys within two weeks. If for you uh, Total Recall fans out there, I have another exciting, fun-filled episode to discuss all things judo. And if you're new to the podcast, I'd like to say welcome. And if you're coming back again, I'd like to say welcome back. So before I kick things off, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, and nobody's complained to me about this or said anything. This is just coming from me. It would appear to me over the past couple of episodes or so, I've been kind of down on judo in the United States, but I don't, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about judo in the United States. There are a lot of good things going on, um, but I just wanted to get that out of the way because I am going to talk about a couple of really positive things on, on this episode regarding judo in the United States. But um, but on this episode, I'm going to talk about an interview that Jimmy Pedro gave on the Whistlekick Martial Arts Podcast. And covering interviews uh, of other people on other podcasts is typically not something that I do. But but Jimmy, this is Jimmy Pedro, obviously, and, and you know, when... Kind of like with E.F. Hutton, when Jimmy speaks, everyone should listen. And I thought some of the points that he made on this on this podcast was uh, was very interesting. I I'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I just wanted to highlight that that, that I'm going to be discussing that. And there'll be some neg a little negative, but I I don't want to concentrate on the negative too much because there's some really good things happening. The USA Judo Senior Nationals took place over the weekend of June 1st and 2nd. And I'm going to quickly cover some of the winners of, of each division, one of which just happens to be a guest, a former guest on this podcast. I'm very happy for him. The early reports from uh, from the USA Junior Senior Nationals is that uh, it tur- I, I, from what I understand, it was a pretty good turnout. I, I don't have the official numbers. I don't know if they were up or down from last year, but I have to... I got to believe that holding the, the, the national championships in Sin City uh, certainly helps. And for those outside of the United States, Sin City is Las Vegas, Nevada. So I'm going to be covering that. I'm also going to be covering a really great story that's happening with the USJA. So later on in the podcast, I'm going to bring on a fellow by the name of Jesse Grinstead to discuss a Kosen Judo division that the USJA recently held at one of their annual competitions that took place in, I believe it was Cape Coral, Florida. So that interview is going to be happening later on in this episode. I also want to briefly review the whole hot Grand Prix because there was a lot of former and current world champions competing in that event. And this event is pretty critical because... Points from this event and events moving forward are go to uh, 100% uh, towards Olympic qualification. I've also got some listener reaction. It was really interesting over the past couple of weeks. I'll just I'll just say that much. But there's a pretty interesting question that I received that I want to talk about. It's re- it's with regards to adults having to do rondori with juniors, and, and that can be. A, a tricky situation at times. A, a, a listener requested some advice about a particular situation, and I'm going to dish out some of uh, that advice, and and hopefully that'll be helpful for some of you out there. Now, I just referenced the uh, the USA Judo, Judo Senior Nationals. I just referenced the Whole Hot Grand Prix. 
something that I should have mentioned in my last episode that I failed to do so and I apologize. I want to give a special public thank you to Travis Stevens and all the fine folks at the uh, at the New York Athletic Club, uh, whoever you are, because I was invited to be a VIP at the New York Open uh, a couple of months ago, and I could not make it because, well, I was uh, I was invited to be a VIP guest in another location, and as you guys know, that was at my mom's house, so. It turned out when I got the invite to the to the New York Open, that was the same exact weekend. I already planned a trip to go see my mother, and at the time, I just hadn't seen my mother in a couple of years, and and I it was time. And unfortunately, it landed on the same weekend. I was I was very glad to spend time with my mother, but I also would have really liked to have gone to the New York Open and meet Travis and meet some of the fine folks there running that event. And I certainly would have reported on it. That's for sure. Maybe done a. Uh, a live cast or live feed or something like that. Probably not, but at least I would have I would have taken a lot of notes to share with my experiences there. So Travis and all the fine folks at the New York Athletic Club, thank you very much for that invite. I hope I get invited again next year. I will certainly make a plan to make a trip out there because uh, not only do I love judo and do I love watching judo, I also really love New York City. It's the place that I grew up. Well, sort of. I, I lived the first eight years of my life in New York City, and then we moved to Massachusetts, and then I moved my happy butt down to to Tampa Bay 19 years ago. So I've been here ever since, but New York will always be a pl- special place in my heart, and uh, any chance I can get back there for any reason, I certainly try to do so. I want to kick things off with the USA Judo Senior National Championships that uh, were held and in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, first things first, uh, as I was looking through the results of the tournament, it turns out that USA Judo actually had this thing live streamed. I, I see all the dead. Well, they're, they're dead now because there's no there's no competition happening at the moment. But um, apparently they had live streamed uh, the matches and different mats. Now, guys, if you're listening and I know you are, it would have been nice to have known that you were going to do that because... I follow you on Twitter. You guys have the the Twitter check mark. You've been a you're a verified account. You have over twenty two thousand followers, and I know you don't have that much registered judoka in the country. So you got a lot of followers. You got a lot of interest. It would have been nice to know you guys were live streaming that event because I would have skipped doing judo and Brazilian jiu jitsu yesterday in favor of watching the senior national championships because I I wasn't going to fly out to Vegas. I mean, Vegas for me has some tough personal memories that I won't get into here and uh, having to do with my brother, but um, but I certainly would have watched it live and it would have been nice to know, listen, you got people on Twitter. I, I have the alerts for you guys on Twitter. You, you got you to gotta push some stuff out there. I mean, I follow you on Instagram. I follow you on Twitter. You guys need to improve your social media presence because I don't go to websites for news anymore. I, 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 I rely on alerts and notifications, and maybe that's just me, but I know a lot of people out there do the same thing. So, look, I'm not trying to be a downer already, but, um, but look, hey, just, just say just a friendly suggestion, nothing personal. I'm not attacking you or anything like that. All right, moving on. So I want to cover... I'm, so I'm going to cover the winners of the senior divisions, uh, both male and female. There's obviously brown belt divisions and novice divisions and and, and masters divisions. I, I I really don't don't I I can't cover everybody that won except for one person that I got to make special note of. But 
I just want to send a special congratulations to all of the folks that earned gold and, and, and no offense to those who earned silver and bronze, but I'm just not going to read your name. The list are way too long. So here it goes. In the under 44 kilo division, Maya Wagner uh, won. Uh, the under 48 kilo division was won by Louise Peccolo. The under 52 kilo division was won by Caitlin Jarrell, who is on Team USA. That is Serge Buisu's daughter, so congratulations to Mayo Quanchi out there. The under 57 kilo division was won by Amelia Fulgentes. The under 63 kilo division was won by Alicia Giles. Uh, under 70 kilos was won by Chantal Wright. The under 78 kilo division was won by uh, Nefeli Papadakis. And the plus 78 kilo division was won by Nina Kutro Kelly. None of those winners are real surprisers. Uh, none of those winners are surprises to me in the female division because they are just about all of them are on Team USA. So congratulations to all of you ladies. Now moving on to the men's division. The under 55 kilo division was won by Tegan Yusaha, Yuhasa. The under 60 kilo division was won by Jacob Moore. The under 66 kilo division was won by Micah Brooks. The under 73 kilo division was won by Liam Wright. The under 81 kilo division was won by Tony Sanjimino. The under 90 kilo division was won by Nikola, Nicholas Pavlov. The under 100 kilo division was won by Nate Keeve. And the plus 100 kilo division was won by Eric Kalajan. Now I want to make special note to a particular individual who has been a guest on this podcast. Congratulations to Chris Round for winning first place in the under 90 kilo division in the veteran one male category. I, I Look, truth be told, I'm not sure what that category is. I'm going to guess that, that that's the equivalent of what I know to be as a master's division, but I could be very wrong on that. So if somebody knows, please feel free to correct me. Now, for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, Chris Round was a guest of mine a couple of years ago, or uh, or maybe it was last year. I, I can't even remember anymore. I just know it was... I believe it was episode 26. I had Chris on as a guest uh, because he was doing an article on medium.com talking about his experiences on trying to make the Olympic team and, and how it impacted his life. I thought it was a it was a fascinating interview. It was just um, it's an interview. I, I highly recommend all of you who have not listened to it. Uh, go back and listen to it again. It's episode 26. So, Chris, again, congratulations. I, I'm uh very happy for you, and, and hopefully we'll see updates to your story on Medium pretty soon. It's been a while, you know, so I keep, I keep tabs on it. All right, moving along now. Jimmy Pedro recently appeared on episode 398 of the Whistlekick Martial Arts podcast. Now, this is not a podcast that I typically listen to, but this podcast episode came up in a search that I did on my podcast addict app that I use to listen to different podcasts every once in a while probably every month or so I always do a search using that app for any term related to judo and normally there aren't too many other judo specific top po topics that come up when it comes to podcasts mine tends to be the one that comes right up to the top but you know you can search on podcast uh or I should say podcasts that are specific to judo, or you can search on episodes that contain anything related to judo. So I ended up doing one of those searches, and sure enough, I came across this episode of an interview done with Jimmy Pedro, and this was done probably just a few days ago, a few days ago as of this recording, which was um, the episode released on May 20th, just to give you an idea. So it's a very recent 
podcast episode. And it's a fascinating one. I highly recommend that everybody listen to it. Now, I'm normally not one to use another podcast material as discussion points. And I'm sure maybe some of you are asking, well, you know, well, Dave, why don't you just have Jimmy Pedro on yourself? Well, I I would like to do that one day, but if I have somebody like Jimmy Pedro on, I don't want to do the typical podcast interview where, you know, tell me where you're from, tell me what you do, that kind of thing. I, I If I have somebody like him on, I, I want to talk about something specific, and I just haven't really decided what I may, I would want to talk about uh, with him specifically. And that's, that goes for everybody else, because I, I don't find myself to be a good interviewer, quite frankly. I mean, when it comes to martial arts podcasts, I think I think the best interviewer out there today is uh, Ryan Ford, who does the Grappling Central podcast. He's he's like the Larry King of podcast interviewers, and somebody like myself, I'm more like the Chris Farley of podcast interviewers. I mean, if I if I had Jimmy on, and and I, it would probably sound like you know, hey hey Jimmy, remember remember when you won the world championships? Yeah, that was that was awesome. So I don't I don't want to be that guy. So I I want to make sure if I have somebody like him on that I'm well prepared and and I just haven't gone through those links yet. I, I want to be well prepared first before I approach somebody like him with an interview. Anyway, I highly suggest that you guys listen to this to episode 398 of the Whistle Kick podcast. But there are some things that I want to discuss from that podcast. And I again I hate using another person's interview as as show fodder but some of the things that Jimmy said on this episode uh, w- is too important to not talk about and and I want to start with his comments about making money in judo and I thought they were very interesting because in conversations I've had with Steve Scott he's actually mentioned this to me personally um so Jimmy's comments are as follows he says uh after the 1984 Olympics is when the AAU broke up and it was also the time was something called the NCAA coming into existence, and judo chose a path of not going with the NCAA but sticking with the AAU, which broke up shortly thereafter. Uh, but we didn't ride the NCAA wave. So basically, Jimmy is talking about that judo in this country had an opportunity to be part of the NCAA, if you can believe that. I mean, gosh, how good would have, how different would judo look today in this country if the powers that be went down that path? And I know for a fact. Uh, Steve Scott was very much a part of trying to get into the NCAA, but um, given his age today and given how old he would have been back then, he would have been a lot younger, obviously, and perhaps uh, as a young man, he, his opinions may not have been taken with as much weight as some of the other powers that be at the time. That would just be a guess on my part, but... You know, and and just to add, I do know that Steve Scott and many other people voted. This was something that was voted on, and many people voted uh, for NCAA inclusion. But unfortunately, many more people voted against NCAA inclusion, and, and this is kind of where we are at. Continuing on, we thought we were judo, and we knew better, and we didn't need this organization to help us make rules and set protocols. So it chose a different path, and obviously... It wasn't the right path. So when things came along, like the Karate Kid and different 
martial arts and Hollywood and TV and things like that. And all of these other martial arts started to grow in this country and the awareness of them grew and business acumen grew and people were doing it as a true business to make money. And the sport of judo got left behind. It got left behind with a Japanese mentality that you don't charge people money for doing judo. You give back to the sport. You're altruistic. You shouldn't make money and benefit financially from judo. And the other martial arts had a different agenda. And slowly but surely, we got bypassed by all of the others. And today, although judo isn't flourishing in America, worldwide, judo has become much stronger, much bigger, with more money and more professional programs worldwide. Now, I thought those were very interesting comments made by Jimmy because, well, quite frankly, some of the things that he stated, or really I should say a few of the, thing, a few of the things that he brought up are things that I have brought up on episodes past, namely the old school mindset, the old ideas. And I'm not suggesting that as judoka, as club owners, that we shouldn't strive to be altruistic. But at the same time, it's not a sin to make money in judo, to make money as a judo instructor, and to have programs and to have a business model that works for making money. And that, that includes, like I had uh, you know, Sensei James Wall several episodes ago, that, that may include having tests for uh, belt testing fees, for example, and maybe having a consistent promotion schedule you know once every three months in your club where students that may be ready to test for the next rank they can do so so i guess i found it interesting just just hearing it from from a low-level guy like myself that that it would seem that even jimmy feels that some of the old mentality about what judo should be is is killing it in the united states and you know Sometimes when I bring these topics up, whether through conversation with some people or um, I, I've had a recent conversation with some people on Reddit based on some of the listener reaction that I got from from the episode. And what I thought was interesting, I, I received a response from a fellow, a, a, a nice guy. We had a very nice uh, dialogue online and it wasn't it wasn't combative in any way. And, and his his point of view was and I'm talking in a general sense that. You know, judo shouldn't do this uh, for adult beginners and, and judo shouldn't do that because, well, judo is judo. And, and I kind of responded wondering, well, what does that even mean? It, that's like kind of saying it is what it is. And, and I, I, I can't stand that, that saying uh, because it's one of those sayings where you just you're just kind of giving up. You know, and, and the general idea of, well, we shouldn't be charging a lot of money for judo because judo is judo. And you can you can make that that statement, judo is judo with anything with anything and and it's meaningless. I mean, you know, my feeling is, well, okay, if judo is judo, how's that working out in the United States? How's that working out for getting more members in your club? How's that working out for getting more people involved, getting more people to teach? Even if even if that means getting more lower ranked people uh, trying to teach. And, and that's another thing. Um, something else in this episode. It's going to be the last uh, part I reference in this episode because you really got to listen to the Whistle Kick, Whistle Kick podcast to get the full full interview and, and full appreciation of what that host did interviewing Jimmy Pedro. But Jimmy also brought up this 
notion, and it's and it's true, is that there are not enough judo instructors in the United States. And this is something that I have specifically talked about in episodes past that some way and somehow there needs to be more avail- uh, availability. And, and, and on that podcast, Jimmy stated that, uh, there aren't enough instructors. And unlike so many other sports, you know, say little league baseball or wrestling or, or basketball or, you know, pop Warner football, whatever the case may be, there are plenty of programs within a five or 10 minute drive of somebody's house for their child or, or really for anybody to become a a participant in those sports. And for adults, I mean, heck, there's Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools and, and karate schools and, and kung fu schools all within a, 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 a relatively easy 20-minute drive or, or 20 minutes or less. But for a lot of people, the closest judo club may be an hour away. And, and I think that's really problematic. And you know, one of the ways that you can solve that problem is is having more instructors. However, and this is something that I've kind of talked about before, whether whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, I, I don't know. But you, we have to have more instructors out there that may not necessarily be black belt level. And I know Serge Boyasu, when I interviewed him, gosh, been two years now, he brought this up and I, I researched this recently and he's absolutely correct. Did you know, now I have no wrestling experience whatsoever. And even if I didn't have any experience in judo, take, take anybody, anybody off the street, any parent, did you know that you could go become a certified wrestling coach through, through USA Wrestling? Now, as crazy as that may sound to some, it's absolutely true. I wanted to make sure that that I, that, that I was not mistaken here. So I went on to uh, USA Wrestling's website, and I saw they have a copper certification, copper level certification. You've got copper, bronze, silver, gold, uh, and all the way up there. But for a copper certification, the prerequisite to be a wrestling coach for a copper certification is... Let's see, you must be a current coach or member of USA Wrestling, pass a background check, pass the safe sports certification, and complete a four-hour classroom course. I mean, copper certifications consist of a four-hour classroom uh, course or online clinic with testing after each module. Coach certifications with USA Wrestling are valid for life unless removed for disciplinary action. So let's say your middle school or your local middle school doesn't have a wrestling program. You're interested in getting a wrestling program, but you don't have a coach to, t- to coach that wrestling team. Well, you can become a copper certified cor- uh, coach, take a four-hour co- uh, course, and now you're a certified coach by USA Wrestling. And to take the course and get certified, it's a $50 fee. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying judo should go down that road, but my goodness, I know... If a parent or a student wants to get involved in teaching judo, that there is far more red tape involved in preventing people from volunteering to help judo grow than there is for so many other sports in in the United States. And again, like I said, you know, how's it working for us? Well, it's really not. And I hear it and sometimes I see it from from, uh National governing body uh, numbers, at least the three main ones that most people are used to, those numbers are not going up. They're going down uh, of registered judoka. And, and, and I think it's a shame. And it's, it's something that, 
like I said before, from my point of view as a recreational judoka, it's things that I've noticed. And obviously from people at, as high up as Jimmy Pedro, he's seen similar types of things. He, he sees it from a different perspective, of course, because he's, he's just been so involved far more than I, I ever have. But, you know, there are plenty of green belts out there and brown belts out there. If they wanted to start a judo program locally, I don't think they would have the kind of support that they need in order to do that. And and look, I don't want to hear about rank and I don't want to hear about insurance stuff because if USA Wrestling can figure it out, why can't USA Judo? And I, when I say USA Judo, I don't necessarily mean USA Judo in terms of Team USA, but the but the other you know governing bodies. I, I mean, it's just it it's something that that as a collective we should strive to remove the roadblocks not keep adding them there for people that just want to give back to the judo community if a green belt or a brown belt wants to open a business that's an after-school club they pick up kids after school they have a summer camp when there's no school if that guy wants to have that kind of business and have judo be the base martial art or base activity that is being taught at that business. I think, I think the judo governing bodies need to fully support that and not nickel and dime them to death with different fees and, and things like that. And, and really throw the weight of their full support behind that and not worry about, well, do you have enough points? Do, are you a, are you an EQ? Because in order to do this, you got to be at least an EQ, things like that. I, I think we need to move away from that if, if, if judo is just going to have a shot at growing. And look, I know I've said this before on my podcast. I've, I'll say it again. I'm just a guy behind the microphone. I mean... I'm not saying that my ideas are the right ones or that they're even good ones. However, I do know that a lot of what I talk about coming from my perspective, a lot of my opinions resonate with a lot of people, a lot of people that care about the future of judo, a lot of people that want to see judo succeed in both grassroots and competitively at the highest levels. I mean, I don't have the right answers or good answers, but I'm just trying to have a conversation here with all of you that are listening. And and that's exactly why I always welcome listener reaction. Why I love listener reaction because some because I don't just read the stuff that only agrees with my point of view. If, if somebody feels differently or if I got something wrong, I I don't have a problem reading that or responding that. I mean, Granted, more or less, the, the the response I receive is quite literally 99% positive. I think I've only come across, you know, two people and two or three people that have been truly negative about the podcast. But but I, I love the listener reaction and, and I love, you know, the interactions that I have online and in, in different forums, you know, whether it's email, whether it's social media, whatever the case may be, because I... I don't look at this as just my podcast. This is this is a podcast for all of us, and I just happen to be the guy behind the microphone. But I know a lot of the things that I bring up here, a lot of my opinions resonate with a lot of people. And I know because sometimes I check the download numbers from time to time. Any Anytime I talk negatively about USA Judo or, or Judo in the United States as a, as a whole, it's interesting to see where the download numbers spike up a bit. And I must say I do find it humorous every time I see – uh, my download numbers in Colorado spike. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but I think a lot of people get fed up about feeling like they're not being heard. People that want to make a difference, and it feels like uh, nobody's listening. So 
I love the listener reaction because this is this is your forum. If nobody's listening to you and you want to be heard, hell, shoot me an email. I'll read it on the air if you if you want to call this the air. And and that's how you're going to get heard because people do listen to this thing. And not just in the United States either. I know people at the IJF listen. So if you want to send me that email about how you hate that there's no leg grabs in judo, well, you go right ahead. I'll read it and, and um, somebody in Switzerland will listen. Now, speaking of which, it's time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. What time is it? Listener reaction. Well, you know, I'd like to start off with this lovely email. Dear Judo Dave, you suck. Your podcasts suck, and you sound like the kind of guy that sits down when he has to take a pee. Come well, you know on, what? I'm a married man. There are times that I'm, it's middle of the night. I'm not going to stand there. Are you kidding me? Do you know the kind of mess I would make half a <laughs> Oh, God. That's a funny email. I got to admit that. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I got I to gotta gain a little composure here. All right, listen, anonymous emailer. Thank you very much for that. It was worth the laugh. Off, punk. So there, you see, you're just the one percent, or you're you're the point zero five percent of listeners. But I appreciate the email nonetheless. As for whether or not I sit down, that's a little much, too much detail. Uh, I'm willing to divulge in the. <laughs> all right, all right, moving along. Let's see. I got this Facebook. I got this Facebook message, um, and this person writes, uh, Dear Dave, love the podcast. Appreciate everything that you do, but I disagree with your take on Avengers Endgame. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Um, well, <laughs> you, uh, you're talking about Avengers Endlame? Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about the movie, more or less. I mean, 7 out of 10. I, I thought the story was pretty weak. You you know what really bothered me the most was was the end, and there, there'll be a little bit of spoilers here. So um, you know, warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson spoilers. So the spoilers won't be too bad though. All right, old Steve Rogers. So old Steve Rogers pretty much means that during uh, Captain America Civil War at Peggy Carter's funeral, that would mean that old Steve, her husband, was in the same room as Captain America. So, I mean, it goes to say, I mean, wouldn't their kids recognize young Captain America in the funeral or at the funeral? Wouldn't they be like, hey, what's what's dad doing here when he's like 30 years old? <laughs> you know, and, and, and another thing, um, when Captain America kissed Peggy Carter's niece in Civil War, well, wouldn't that mean he gave a passionate kiss to his own niece? I did not have sexual relations with that woman are you sure about that cap anyway that that's just one in a myriad of problems i had with the movie look i love the action seven out of ten overall but that that story was kind of weak for me anyway moving along i received another facebook message a couple days ago that on a more serious note this was this really shocked me when i read it and i'm gonna try my best to respond to this um i in I, I don't really still don't have a good answer. So here it goes. I would love to hear your thoughts on judo or I should say uh, yeah, on parents in judo in an upcoming podcast, Dave. I had an unfortunate experience today when I threw a junior with a left Hayatoshi. She was in no way injured but came off the mat crying due to the loss. Later, when I asked if she was okay, she looked through me and said nothing. 
In later matchups, she refused to bow and punched my throat repeatedly with a lapel grip. It was all made worse by her father, uh, who literally has 170 pounds over me, then intimidating me for the rest of the lesson. Now, look, I don't know this listener very well. I don't know how old the listener is, how old the junior in question is. I assume the listener is an adult, but outside of that, I'm really not sure what... I don't really know too many of the details uh, uh, here in his situation. I don't know if he is an instructor. I I don't know what role he plays in the club, if he's just a student. Hard to really tell, but I will say this, and I'm going to assume that this is Ron Dory here. As an adult, when working with juniors, and again, this is just my opinion, your role as an adult is to by and large, just take falls and move around a bit. Because I had an unfortunate incident over two years ago uh, at the judo club that I was attending at the time where I actually hurt a young teenage girl. It was completely accidental. And and oddly enough, I was doing Tayatoshi and, and her wrist got caught up in my gi in a funny way. And I wasn't even doing Tayatoshi hard. I was just kind of going through the motions, but just the way that her wrist got caught up, it was just, it was such an unfortunate accident. And, and I put her out of commission for a long time. And, you know, she never held it against me. Her, her grandmother and mother were there and they never held it against me. And I, I'm very grateful for that. But it was a very unfortunate experience and I felt awful for months about it I I just I really really felt terrible and she did come back and and I completely changed the way that I did judo starting with the fact that um, I no longer wear a double weave uh, judogi in practice I mean these days the only time I ever wear my double weave is if I'm going to some kind of an open mat area where I expect to do a lot of rondori and and that's so much that I really want to grip fight because I don't care about grip fighting around Dory very much. I mean, I, I do grip a little bit, but what what I can't happen to me is is just being ragdolled by dip, by bigger guys who who really take advantage of the single weave and and all the flexibility and space that it provides. But when it comes to juniors and and just about every other judo class that I attend whether as a student or or maybe as a student slash assistant instructor, I wear my single weave because I don't want people. I, I think single weaves are great for training and I'm a lot more comfortable with it. But I think especially with juniors, you, you have to wear um, single weave. That's one. And two, if by junior you're talking about somebody that's 15 years old and under, I, I really believe that for the most part, your role there as an adult, assuming you're an adult, is to just take falls. Now, that doesn't mean that um, you sit around there and flop around or that you never throw. But when you throw, your timing really has to be exquisite. Your your timing, it has to be perfect. And if, it, and if it's not perfect and you start finding yourself driving on a throw, just let it go. I mean, again, if it was me, adult male uh, with a junior female, I'm largely taking falls, doing very light grip fighting, um, and and everything I do is predicated on active movement. And and when I do that and I take a very light grip, like a lot of times when it comes to a junior, let's say some a 13-year-old girl these days, I will grip with my finger, um, with my index finger and my thumb 
on the lapel and that's it. I will not use the bottom three fingers uh, to maintain a grip on the lapel. And I'm, I, that's how I play. I play from there. Um, I, I generate enough movement and and um, and hand movement and stuff to not create force, but just to try and get perfect timing. And when I do run Dory that way, the, the round is tough because now I can't rely on any strength advantage whatsoever. So I have to I have to generate power through movement and technique and and just using the right amount of force to get uh, get a, a, a young child over. Uh, on, on a throw but but if i start feeling like i'm driving or or uh say for example if i'm doing an uchimata i'm not doing a ken ken uchimata on on, on a junior just i'm just not doing that that's i think that's a bit much and what i noticed is when i changed the way that i did judo um with juniors in in rondori is that they had a really fun time with me and and i and i did as well i i really enjoyed doing those rounds of Rondori with juniors because I was playing to their level and they really got a lot of benefit out of it. And so did I, because I, because when I take away the strength and try and play at their speed, look, I'm at, you know, in, in my early to mid forties, a 13, 14 year old kid is probably faster than me. If, if they're, if I'm letting them move and, and stuff, they're, they're pretty fast. They're sneaky. They do, they do a lot of things that they would do in competitions against other kids their age. So it does make it challenging. So I, I, I think that's really the best approach. If you are the instructor, I would suggest having a discussion with your students and reminding them that there is no winning or losing in Rondori. So being thrown throwing a junior they should not be upset on the mats that that's that's unacceptable but a, a a young junior is not going to have the emotional wherewithal to understand that you know be, just be you know a lot of kids will cry if they get thrown that that's kind of a normal thing cuz they're a kid you know and if you're not the instructor i would talk to your sensei about it and have your sensei have a discussion not only with the kids but with everybody in the room, the parents too, to understand that in judo, it's a high contact sport. There's a lot of movement. Injuries can happen. And parents need to understand their role that, you know, when they see their kid getting slammed on the mat hard, that they can't get angry about that and, and cause an issue. I know there are judo instructors out there that don't allow their parents on the side of the mats. And I sometimes if you have a big enough club, I think that can be a good policy. Because you don't want sensei parent on the sidelines coaching their kid. So that would be uh, my su my suggestion in that situation. Um, let me know how it goes. Best of luck to you. I, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, that. But that, you know, parents staring you down, that's unacceptable. And one more thing, just to be clear, when I'm talking about you can't allow sensei parent on the sidelines, that that, that is... That does not include parents that have been allowed or who are volunteering uh, their time and efforts to help you in the club or help be an assistant coach, even if they are don't have an official rank in judo or or they are low ranked themselves. I'm not. I'm talking about sideline parents, not not parents that are actually involved in helping your club. So that's all the listener reaction I'm going to read today. If you want to reach out to the show. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at La Vida Judoka. My Instagram is awesome. If you go on there, you can see my new Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gi, which is a knockoff of the Cobra Kai gi in The Karate Kid. I love it because I, I think I've said it before that 
I'm sick and tired of everybody having the same damn gi in the club. And I wanted something different. I wanted something that's mine. And absolutely nobody has this gi. So I'm very proud of it. So you can go on there and, and check out my, my, uh, the pictures of my new gi and all the other cool things that I put up there. My Instagram's awesome. You got to trust me on that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Levita Judoka. The International Judo Federation follows me on Twitter. Now I got to ask, why don't you? Now, I wish the IJF would follow me on Instagram because they would really love my page. But at least they follow me on Twitter, so that's really cool. If you want to email the show, you can do so at judochopsueyshow at gmail.com. That is the best way to get a hold of me. The absolute worst way to get a hold of me is through Instagram, especially if you do not follow me on Instagram. And you could always reach out to me on the official Judo Chop Suey Facebook page. Uh, that Facebook page is not as active as I would like, but I, I'm just... I'm not I, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, admittedly. I, I just it's just not my thing. But I am getting a little bit more involved with it. And if you are bold enough, you want to add me on a friend as a friend on Facebook, you feel feel free, go right ahead if you can find me. The only thing I would ask is shoot me a personal message saying that you're a listener and um that way I'll I'll add you because sometimes I you know, I, I get these Russian bots or whatever. I, I I can't accept friend requests from people that don't have mutual friends or, or, or are not listeners of the show and things like that. So I, I just, um, if you, if you're a friend of the, if you're, if you're a listener and you want to add me as a friend on Facebook, just shoot me a message and I'll, I'll accept your friend request and we'll chat and have a good old time. All right. So on March 30th at the Yoichiro Matsumura championships held in Cape Coral, Florida, the USJA held its inaugural Kosen Judo competition for their participants. Now, just to be clear, I do not know much about Kosen Judo, and what I do know is that it's a competition style of Judo that primarily focuses on the Waza, and that competitions are generally a team event. And these teams are comprised of 15 members from the seven imperial universities in Japan. So, in general, when you hear about Kosen Judo, this is strictly a style of Judo and a, and a competition that is by and large, held in Japan between the, 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 the imperial universities. There are seven of them. And I wanted to bring that up just a little bit because a lot of times people use the word Kosen Judo in terms of a marketing strategy. And I, I personally don't have anything wrong with that. If you've ever looked at a Kosen Judo competition, it really does look like, in some ways, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, what you would call guard pulling in, in, in judo, it's considered hikomi. But the actual uh, movements and defenses and the objectives, it, it looks very similar to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition, except the scoring is just very different. And in Kosen judo competitions, you can win on, on any pawn throw. But on with me on the podcast is a fellow by the name of Jesse Grinstead. Jesse reached out to me a couple of, uh, probably a couple of months ago now and, and wanted to bounce off idea, ideas of a Kosen Judo competition that he was going to hold at the Yoichiro Matsumura Championships. And I'm bringing him on, I'm bringing him on in order to talk about his experiences with that and what, the, what it was about and, and what we can expect from the USJA moving forward. Jesse Grinstead, everyone. Jesse, welcome to the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. How you doing today? Oh, just fine, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I'm a longtime listener and big fan of the show. 
I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you uh, listening uh, all this time. And and I, I also appreciate you um, reaching out to me for your opinions on uh, the Coast the, uh, and Judo tournament that you had a couple of weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago now. So, But before we get into that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, how long you've been doing judo, if you have any other martial arts experience where you train, uh, that kind of thing. Let the listeners know who you are and um, go right ahead. Absolutely. Uh, again, my name is Jesse Grinstead. Um, I'm a BJJ player uh, from Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, as far as Brazilian jiu-jitsu goes, I train under Carl Vickery at Vickery Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. Uh, Carl is formerly a fight sports black belt, but we're now an independent gym. Uh, in terms of judo, I'm a knee cue uh, at uh, Kodagon Cape Coral um, Judo under John Passioni, who is the USJA president. Uh, oh, okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, in terms of other experience, I've, I've done some Muay Thai in the past. Um, I used to train in shoot fighting. <laughs> there used to be a shoot fighting affiliate down here in uh, Cape Coral in Fort Myers. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's been a while. Um, but uh, yeah, but I'm primarily Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm a purple belt with three stripes there. And like I said, a Niku, which is a brown belt level for the USJ. Awesome. Um, Fort Myers, that's probably about what? An hour and a half away from me or so? Yeah, uh, you're in the Tampa area or St. Pete, somewhere around there. I'd yeah, say yeah, Tamp- Tampa, uh, Hillsborough County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Yeah. Okay, I, I should probably make my way down there one day and uh, definitely meet in person. I know we've con, I know we've conversed uh, online over the past couple of years or so. So I appreciate. I'd like to uh, uh, put a face with a name. We have not trained on the same mat, right? You haven't come up here for any open mat. No, no, like we that. we we've, we've trained with people. Um, who have trained with each other. Uh, for instance, uh, Simon from, uh, the, uh, I guess that's right. Sarasota area or somewhere over there. I know he's trained with you a few times. I've trained with him. So we've gotcha. got some connections. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's right. That's right. That's right. So, so again, the reason why I brought you on, um, the USJA recently had a, what you call a Kosen judo, uh, competition in one of your local, uh, events that you have every year. Can you tell me a little bit about the event that you, this is the inaugural event of the Kosen Judo rules, correct? Uh, this is the, or it was the debut of our Kosen division, but it was uh, division. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was taking place in our annual tournament in Cape Coral each year, which is the Yoshiro Matsumura Judo championships. Um, and yeah, we do that every year uh, somewhere around March and April. Yeah. Does your club host um, that tournament? Yeah, I'd, year? Say, I'd say for all intents and purposes, it's considered hosted by Cape Coral, uh, you know, the Kodakon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. So this Kosen Judo style, I, I got to ask, why did you go with the name Kosen Judo? Because there there's some historical context when it comes to Kosen Judo. There's there's a lot, a lot of times people, you you know, um, use that name and, and start mm-hmm. saying it's, it's related to brazilian jiu-jitsu you know some people use it as a marketing term now i don't have an issue with that i'm just curious what your reasonings were for using that name for this particular tournament uh yeah i'd say there's a a couple of reasons why that name ended up getting picked i think ultimately it's because the usja uh some time ago decided it wanted to have a coasting division so we were kind of stuck with the terminology not that i dislike that at all i I think the the term coasting pays uh, homage, uh, gives the appropriate amount of respect to the tradition that we're trying to honor. Um, but really uh, it just came down to the fact that the USJA had, has had long-term plans to, to have a COSIN division. It, it, it already even, uh, had sort of like a COSIN, um, 
training system, which was kind of odd that we had that before we even had a competition set. But uh, yeah, the, the terminology was already chosen by the organization. Interesting. So when you reached out to me a couple of months ago, getting my opinion on the the rule sets that were being used, how involved were you in that process? Because it, it, I got the impression, if this is not the case, you know, let me know. I got the impression you were you were heavily involved in setting setting this up, in, in or at least coordinating some of this. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was definitely uh, probably the main technical advisor on this because uh, I was the person who decided to just you know, roll up my sleeves and do the research. <laughs> um, Roddy Ferguson is the director of the Coastal Division, and he's the one who's sort of implemented the the training system. Um, but we didn't really have oh, anyone. Okay. Yeah, we really didn't have anyone working on what we were going to do in terms of having a competition set. So I sort of you know, reached out to the the president, my head sensei, John Passioni, and said, listen, I'm, you know, really interested in trying to help and, and you know, make a contribution to this effort so that we can try to get something out at our next, you know, tournament. Uh, and, and that's really kind of how it came about. That's, that's fantastic. How long did this process uh, take you in terms of putting together the rules and such? Because you had just, we were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth I would say maybe two or three weeks leading up to the event. So, I mean, it seemed like not maybe not everything was set in stone or maybe it already was and you you just wanted just my, my feedback on it. How long did it take you to put together uh, maybe the rule set here? Well, um, I had actually talked to some of the senior members, um, you know, of the USJ leadership uh, at last year's Matsumura uh, championships, just letting them know, hey, you know, I'm familiar with the rule set out of Canada that I think is really good because in Canada, they have a really successful coastal division in the Quebec area, Montreal. In fact, I um, got some firsthand knowledge of it when I was vacationing one summer in Montreal and I was training at a place called uh, BOA Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a Cayo Terra affiliate. And um, I was immediately informed by those guys that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is actually banned in Quebec. Uh, so the, wow. one of the what yeah it's really strange one of the only competitive outlets that a lot of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu people in Quebec have is to actually go into these coast and judo tournaments um, and they they really enjoyed them and they and they thought that um, they were fair to both judo players and, and jiu-jitsu players and uh, that's where I first became aware of the uh, the sensei that was involved in that process which is a gentleman by the name of Hiroshi Nakamura I think he's something like an eighth or ninth degree in code uh, ninth degree Kodakon uh, black belt um, He's been in Canada for several decades, but uh, he's originally from Japan. And yeah, he runs a really successful coasting division up there. So his rules sort of started things off in terms of giving us a, a template or a foundation for coming up with ideas. And then once we discovered that we had some technical limitations that want to allow us to do a points-based uh, system like they have in Canada, uh, we had to gear it more towards the traditional uh, Wazari and Epon type scoring because of our um, table um, scoring systems. Uh, but we eventually came up with something a few weeks before the tournament that uh, was in line with what our, our technical limitations were. And we're still very much, uh, you know, close to what we saw from the Nakamura set with some changes, of course. It's not uh, a carbon copy by any means, but, um, yeah, so there, there was a, like I said, a foundation and an inspiration for the rules. And then we had to sort of make some changes that, that fit, uh, you know, our technical limitations. Now in your research here, are you familiar with the, the Kosen judo rule sets that a lot of the Imperial universities follow or the Imperial universities in Japan follow 
for their competitions. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. And if you are, you are okay. You are. So how how similar is the rule set that you ran at your at your tournament compared to what you may see in at the you know in the imperial competitions? Yeah, I, I would say it's it's very similar with just some some small changes. I think that maybe suit our players a little more. Also the the imperial style rules that they have in Japan are more geared towards team competitions. Right. And our, and our tournament was uh, just you know mono e mono, the standard one on one, not a team system. Although that's something I think we'd like to explore in the future. But I, I noticed that I think one of the changes that I'm familiar with that um, that they have is that they still can end a match on a on a single throw in the imperial system. And right. and and, and um, so we didn't do that. Um, cause we really, cause one of the things we were trying to accomplish here is the USJ once had a Nawaza division, uh, and it was kind of a strange thing. You know, people started on their knees and, right. uh, you know, no one was ever allowed to go to their feet and it was just, it was all Nawaza. Um, and we wanted to still maintain, um, uh, you know, a division that really focused on the Nawaza and, and didn't result in any overly fast, you know, uh, decisions. So we decided that anything that resulted in a single throw ending the match would just be too quick for, for the purposes that we were trying to um, reach. Uh, so that's definitely one change that the, the Japanese system has over us. Interesting. So it, is there a context where uh, throws can end the match? Um, well, it's, so if, if you'd like me to run through the, the sort of the scoring system, David, I'd be happy. Yeah, to go that. right yeah. ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so in, in terms of scoring, um, submissions are the only thing that will immediately end the match. So if you get someone in a choke or an arm walk, it it's over really. Um, and a 22nd pin will also, um, ultimately in the match, but typically you're not going to get that pin unless you've done something to get that person to the ground. So Epon is, is basically going to be earned again on submissions and 22nd pins. And um, Wazari um, is now going to be given for high impact takedowns that normally are scored as a pawn. Uh, and 10 second pins are also Wazari. So what that means is anything that was normally a Tachiwaza technique that was only uh, worthy of Wazari under standard judo rules, it doesn't get scored at all. So um, a Wazari type throw, any kind of trip, anything, any kind of dirty takedown that's that's not clean uh, is not going to score. And everything that normally is Epon is only scored at Wazari now. So really there's just downgrades in terms of the Tachiwaza. And, and that helps, again, sort of create a focus that is that is more based on Nawaza action, which is what we were going for. So you could, let's say, do a Wazari throw that that takes someone down. You wouldn't score on the Wazari, but if you immediately follow that up with a 20-second pin, you could earn victory. And if you hit a big high-impact throw, it's only going to score as Wazari, and then you only need to follow up with a 10-second pin, and then that would also give you a victory. And then, like I said, of course, the submissions in the, the match outright immediately. Interesting. So you could you could have two Wazari throws and end that match as well, correct? I just wanted to make sure that that I got that right. Uh, two Wazari throws again in our system though would have been an Epon under standard judo. So yes, you could make you could get up a big throw that's normally right. Epon. It would be considered Wazari for us, and you could disengage from Nawaza, get back up, and hit another high impact throw. And yes, you would also meet the victory condition. Okay, uh, that that makes sense. Did did um now did it did you? use any other rule sets from any other you know maybe competition styles or, or scoring so like like for example i know i know fight to win 
um, has a has a judo division now, and and of course there's always freestyle judo. I'm just curious if you maybe had any influences at all when it comes to some of those other rule sets that those um, those organizations run their contests by. Uh, you know, I I've I can't say that any of the other rule uh, sets had a major influence on us uh, as much as the Nakamura rule set that I spoke of earlier. Right. But um, I, I, yes, I did find another Kosen rule set out of Japan. Um, and I think it was related to those Japanese uh, university competitions. And of course, I'm a big fan of the Freestyle Judo Association and what they're doing, but I don't think we really directly took anything from them. It's just okay. that uh, they were definitely um, an inspiration because they're running such a successful program there. So, um, and Fight to Win, I've seen some of the action. I'm not too familiar with their their rule set i know a little bit about it um and i love what i've seen in terms of the footage but no we didn't directly take anything from them so how did you guys um so so it was yourself uh, dr roddy ferguson um people involved in trying to put this together how did you get the referees um up to speed because i, I because these rules even though it's judo i i get mm-hmm. that but People who officiate just they just know the rules that they've been practicing and studying for a long time. How did you get the officials up to speed? Uh, well, you know, it's it's really not a, a story that's all that interesting, really. But uh, we we got them up to speed literally minutes before <laughs> the tournament started. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of funny, but really, it was uh, it was pretty easy to explain everything to them, and um, it took a lot of pressure off of their shoulders because. They don't have to call a whole lot, to be honest, Dave. Um, there's there's no gripping restrictions like there is in the normal tournament set. Uh, you could actually do Hikakomi, the guard pulling in our Kosen division. Um, right. you, you can do leg grabbing. Um, the matches start staying, of course, which was, again, one of the things we aim to do to get away from our old Nawaza division. Um, right. and it, so their job is actually so much easier when they're refereeing a Kosen match compared to the standard judo match because there's not a whole lot that they have to do to stop the action or to penalize anyone. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that makes sense. Just just uh, relax the rules a little bit and let the fighters fight. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. Now, were there time limits in, in, in these events? Um, I think we were using four or five minute rounds, but in terms of the action on the ground, like Nawaza, like, did we stop the competitors too much? No, only in cases where the referee deemed that there was like no action taking place in a position like guard, there was like an entanglement and there was no, uh, attempt or, or, um, you know, reasonable attempt happening to get out of the position. Then the refs at their discretion could stand the fighters back up, but that, uh, that didn't happen very often to be perfectly honest interesting it's interesting so and i'm curious about some of the rules like being out of bounds now i know generally speaking at at recreational tournaments you're not going to find a lot of competitors doing a lot of edge play but let's say you get two competitors going out of bounds I know in in traditional Kosen Judo competitions, they'll actually move you and you just continue from the position that you were in out of bounds. Did you have that rule in place or if, if there was a reset in action, did you just separate the competitors and they would just continue, you know, in, in, a, in a new uh, altercation, if you want to call it that way? 
Yeah, we actually talked about that at the referee meeting right before the event started. And um, ah. we really just came to the conclusion that we didn't have the officiating crew in place to to actually drag the competitors back to the middle. So we, sure. we allowed action that, that started off on the mats and then went over to go on, you know, for a reasonable amount of time, as long as it wasn't going into another, uh, you know, area where uh, another set of competitors were in. Um, and then, of course, you know, if, it, if they got too far out, then we, we, we would bring them back and do a restart in the middle. But, um, yeah, it just I think for for our organization and, and the refing crew that we had, it just wasn't going to be realistic for us to be able to pull the competitors back because we just didn't have enough personnel to do that. Um, so we just kind of allowed the action to continue. And then if we saw that they were going too far off track, then, then we did a restart. But that didn't I, don't, you know, I think that might have happened once the entire time. Interesting. Interesting. So how many competitors were there uh, for this inaugural uh, division? Uh, at least I, I say inaugural, at least for from what I understand. I know there's been Nawaza based competitions in the past, but this is this is a little bit different. How many comp- how many competitors did you have? And did you have people from other clubs or maybe doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that that bypassed the regular um Shi'i in favor of this Kosen uh, division um I don't know if we had anyone that just did the Kosen division that day and did not uh participate in the in the other division our standard division um but we had a number of competitors dozens in fact um who who did both that day um but uh, you know, in terms of the exact number, I- I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, we would have liked to have seen more uh, come in and compete that day, but we were still very encouraged with the amount of participation that we had. Just you know, given uh, the short notice that we gave to so many people right. about what the rules were going to be, and and you know that the division was going to be you know highlighted at the tournament. Um, I think in the future it's going to be a real hit because all of the feedback that we received from the competitors was very positive. I mean, th- I think there's there's really um, a, a movement out there in the adult judo community to, to go back to a style of judo that, uh, you know, allows for more continuous action that allows for more Nawaza um, because, you know, it, it seems that judo has, has definitely taken more of a focus on juniors. And, and that makes sense given the fact that, you know, we are concerned about things like the Olympics and national teams and all of that. But for a lot of adult competitors, um, they just want to get out there and scrap a little bit. And, and something like our coast division really allows people to go out there and sort of um, demonstrate their their full set of skills and and not be hindered um, by these you know very peculiar um, you know rules that uh, standard judo has about gripping and all of that. So um, yeah, we like I said, a lot of positive feedback from the people who did compete. That that's fascinating. Now how how did you manage the weight divisions for this? I mean, I, I I don't I mean I I can only imagine you you'd have a broad range of people competing and given the time frame of when you announced this because like I said again it, it seemed like only a few weeks before the actual tournament. So given the time frame how did you all set us uh, set aside the uh, or, or set up the weight divisions? I think um, basically the pairings happened along the same lines as the pairings that we do for our standard divisions. So a lot of the people who competed against each other earlier in the day when they went to Kosin were, were paired up again in the Kosin division. Um, I don't know if we had uh, you know perfect 
um, you know, parity as far as weight and rank and all of that for Kosin because we had, you know, like I said, fewer competitors. Um, but at least from a, a visual inspection, uh, you know, of the action, we were doing a pretty good job of matching people um, by size and, and by rank. But, you know, there were some discrepancies in a couple of matches, not so much by weight that I saw, but by belt rank. You know, there were some black belts competing against, um, you know, people of, people of lower rank. But for the most part, uh, Kosin was mostly brown and black belts. Interesting. Interesting. So what is next with the USJA and your involvement and, and um, what's the next step? Is this just going to be an annual event at the, uh, at the tournament that you guys hosted or are you planning or you, you as in you, as in us, the USJA, you planning on uh, expanding this event to different areas uh, around the country? Yeah, well, um, I, I've spoken to uh, Sensei John Passioni, who again is my head sensei and the president of the USJA, and uh, he's very excited about the project, and you know he wants to see it, um, you know, spread around the country and any tournament that we're involved in. I think there's some talk of the US. JF, um, you know, looking at our rules and perhaps adopting a coastal division uh, that's that's similar to ours, if not exactly the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the USJ is definitely interested in in promoting this division and seeing it grow. Um, my involvement in it is that I will continue to be of service to Sensei Passioni and the USJ, and and I'll offer whatever you know technical advice that I can. I think most of that work is is done at this point. Um, but, uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to, to be involved as much as they will allow me to be. I, yeah. And Jesse, I think that's really fantastic. As, as you know, since you listen to the podcast, sometimes I don't intend to sound so negative or, or down on, on judo in the United States. I, I, um, you know, some, some, sometimes there are things that I observe and I don't maybe pay attention enough attention to a lot of the good that's going on out there. And I just want to give you kudos to being part of the good, being part of the solution. And, and I think it's really great um, that you're taking time in order to do this because this is, this is a, a really big deal, in my opinion, and a very big endeavor. Now, if somebody wants to expand on what you're doing, I don't know, let's say somebody out in, in Idaho mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to do something like that. What, what can they do to, um, to and maybe you can't answer this, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. How can the the USJA? What can you do? What can the USJA do to support those people? What do they need to do in order to get something going? Do you have anything written down in terms of I don't know documentation or things along those lines that may be helpful for people? Basically, who can who can people on the outside of Florida reach out to? in order to learn more about maybe setting something up like this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm available for any conversations that anyone wants to have. And, and you know, if, if they can't directly reach uh, Sensei John Passioni, which um, that actually isn't really hard to do. Uh, Sensei Passioni is pretty much, uh, you know, available to anyone who, who writes to him. But um, anyone who wants to write me, they can, they can contact me on, you know, something like Facebook. Uh, my name is Jesse Grinstead. Pretty easy to find. Not a whole lot of people with my name. There's a couple, but not a whole lot. Um, and if, the, if anybody wants to email me, the, the email address is jessegrinstead at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, I think we would be happy to, to support anyone who wants to promote this, this style of play. I, I don't think, you know, and I could be wrong about this. If I am, I apologize to <laughs> my own organization, but I don't know how you make a rule set, a proprietary piece of property that no one else can, and can use, um, especially 
given how that seems to go against the spirit of judo in terms of us sharing this this wonderful art and you know the the experience of of practicing it so um i would say you know reach out to me reach out to sensei john passioni um and uh you know we can we can certainly ad- advise or or simply discuss um you know what it is you're doing and and try to help you in, with your goals fantastic jesse well look i i appreciate you taking time out of your your busy schedule to to come on the podcast and talk about this i thought it was worth worth discussing and and uh and uh, you know unfortunately we 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 had this interview set up a long time ago and then things got all botched up with my, my job and everything so and then we all moved and everything so <laughs> i really appreciate you taking the time to come on it's it's uh it, it, it's it, this has been great and i i appreciate it Thank you, Dave. Uh, no worries about the delay. That uh, Listen, I had a lot going on, too, as I was moving as well, so uh, I know how that is. But uh, thank you so much for having me on. I, I, like I said, I love this show, and uh, you know, I, I, I try to promote it as much as I can with people in both the jiu-jitsu and judo community. Well, thanks a lot, Jesse. We'll, we'll definitely talk soon. Sounds good, Dave. Thanks again. I want to take a few moments to talk about the whole hot Grand Prix, but before I get into that, I just want to say what a disaster for me on fantasy judo. Good lord. For what? I think I got uh, 36th place out of 45 participants. I mean, I, I just had a really bad showing. I was depending on Hifumi Abe to clean house in the under 66 kilo division. It turned out that he didn't even show up for the event. And of course, you know, I picked his sister, Uta Abe, as my team captain. And so did, sim- so did pretty much everybody else on the field. So. What a disastrous turnout for me. That's typically how it goes for me in fantasy sports. It's a good thing that I didn't bet any money on this because I, I just probably would have lost big. And by big, I'm talking about $2. But um, I uh, I ended up picking three, uh, three members of my team that didn't even show up for the event. And I also ended up picking uh, Cyril Murray of France who earned me a whopping negative three points. Now, how the heck does that happen? I mean, three Shitos in a match and you're done? Is that that? Come on, you're better than that. All right, moving on. So the Whole Hot Grand Prix had some pretty interesting results and storylines. I'd like to make note that there were some athletes that I expected to appear at this tournament that did not, starting with uh, uh, Daria Bilodid, Sarah Asahina. Uh, like I said, like I just said, I expected Hifumi Abe to show up at this event. Now, someone that did show up that I was very happy to see was Saeed Molai of Iran. And I talked briefly about him in my last episode with, with uh, the Iranian team. Now, he did not end up fighting any Israelis, but certainly he um, he ended up winning the under 81 kilo division. And of course, that's no that should be no surprise to anyone. He's the best in the world in that division, in my opinion. He's the current world champion, and it will not surprise me if he just marches all the way up to to Tokyo 2020 and ends up on the first place stand there. So, so well, there there goes that result. Under 81 kilo went to Saeed Molai. He ended up beating Sotaro Fujiwara of Japan. Uh, the bronze medal winners were Dominic Russell. Of Germany and uh, Sung Ho Lee of South Korea. The under 60 kilo division was won by Jin Kim Won of South Korea. Hopefully I got his name right. Uh, Young Wei Yang got second place from Taipei. Do I have that right? I think so. And the bronze medal winners was Albert Ogzuov of Russia and 
In Hyuk Choi of South Korea, congratulations to you, men. The under 66 kilo division, which probably would have won, been won by Hifumi Abe, ended up going to Lim Han Kim of South Korea. He defeated Ar- Ar- Aram Grigorian of Russia. In third place was Ming Yen Sai of Taipei. And um, the other bronze medal winner was uh, Bashkuku. Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Yandan Perolini of Mongolia. Boy, Taipei had a really Chinese Taipei had a really good day. I mean, I've, I've uh, of all the times that I've been doing, re, you know, results on the podcast with with naming the countries and such at the Grand Prix and Grand Slam events. I think that's the first time I've mentioned Chinese Taipei twice in an episode. In the under seventy three kilo division, uh, the gold medal went to Hidayat uh, Heydarov of Azerbaijan. Uh, who defeated Viktor Skovtorov uh, of United Arab Emirates. The bronze medal winners were Igor Wantke of Germany and Arthur Margeliadon of Canada. Hey, congratulations to Canada there. That's great. Uh, turns out um, the fifth place winner was, was also a Canadian, Antoine Bouchard. Uh, congratulations to you. The under 90 kilo division was won by Kenta Nagasawa of Japan, who defeated Nemanja Majdov, Nemanja Majdov of Serbia. Uh, the, the bronze medal winners were, were Ivan Silva Morales of Cuba. And the other, uh, the other bronze medal winner was Georgi Papunashvili of, uh, Georgi of Papunashvili of Georgia. Pardon me. The under 100 kilo division was won by Guham Cho of South Korea who defeated Benjamin Fletcher of Ireland. Hey, look at that Ireland in the house here. That's nice. The bronze medal winners were Carl uh, Richard Frey of Germany and Angantabar Leghangvazarin of Mongolia. Boy, that's a tough one. My apologies there. Boy, Germany had a pretty nice tournament here too. Congrats to you guys. Or I should say congrats to you guys. In the plus 100 kilo division, uh, it was won by Ming John Kim of South Korea. Boy, South Korea had a really nice day. Wow. Um, uh, Tuvshinabar Naidan from Mongolia uh, took silver. Lucas Kapralik of the Czech Republic was in third. And Levani Matayashvili of Georgia took the other bronze medal. Now, in the under 48 kilo division on the women's side, it should have been won by Daria Bilodid, but she didn't show up. So, Yu Sun John of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea takes first place. I'm sure Dear Leader is very proud of that. Yao Xiong of China takes second place. And the bronze medal winners are Katharina Menz of Germany and Shira Rishoni of Israel. Like I said, wow, Germany's cleaning up pretty good too. The under 52 kilo division was won by, no surprise here, Uta Abe of Japan, who defeated uh, Eveline uh, Schopp of Switzerland. Third place, uh, the bronze medal winners go to Ekaterina uh, Guica of Canada and Geffen Primo of Israel. A special congratulations to me, uh, or from me, to Angelica Delgado of the United States, who ended up placing seventh. That's that's a... Uh, that's really fantastic for Team USA, and, and that's certainly uh, much-needed points for her bid to get into the Olympics. That's great. Congratulations, Angelica. In the under-57 kilo division, it was won by Jin A. Kim of the, People's, of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Again, 
Boy, dear leader's having a field day. He's dancing a jig right about now with these results. She defeated Daria Mezhetskaya of Russia. The bronze medal winners were Tong Juan Lu of China and Jessica uh, Klimkate of Canada. Again, Canada showing up strong. Certainly, and that's fantastic, uh, you know, going ahead with, uh, with the Montreal Grand Prix that's coming up over the summer. It's good to see Canada making it up to the, uh, the medal stands there. In the under-63 kilo division was won by uh, Martina Trajdos of Germany, who defeated Jing Tang of China. The bronze medal winners were Junixa Zhang of China and Amy Nochi of Japan. In the under-70 kilo division, we had Saki Nizoi of Japan defeating Anna Bernholm of Sweden. The bronze medal winners were uh, Kelita Zupanik of Canada. Boy, Canada again. And Giovanna uh, Sochi Amaro of Germany. Wow, Germany again. Boy, they, they really, you guys cleaned house. I know I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Congratulations to you all. Now, it sounds like I may have biases with certain countries. That's not really the case. It's just... Those particular countries happened to show up a little bit more than I uh, than I expected at this tournament. In the under 78 kilo division, it was won by Estelle Posvite of France, who defeated Anna Maria Wagner of Germany. Uh, the bronze medal winners were Kalema Antomarchi of Cuba and Zhen Zhao Ma of China. Audrey Tremeo of France ended up with fifth place here. She was my pick to win the division, but uh, at least I got some points from her instead of uh, unlike Cyril Murray. Goodness. And in the under, uh, I'm sorry, in the plus 78 kilo division, without Sarah Asahina standing in her way, Idalis Ortiz takes first place. There's no surprise there. I'm not even sure how that would have ended up if Sarah Asahina was there. But Asahina was my pick um, in this division, but of course she didn't show up. So Miss Ortiz had the honor of, de- of defeating Maya Akiba of Japan. And the bronze medal winners in this division was Jasmine uh, Quelbs of Germany and Xi'an Zhu of China. Now, someone of note who has not been on the IG, competing on the IGF World Tour over the past several months is, is one of my favorites on the tour, Guram Tushishvili. I don't know if you guys were aware. I know I didn't cover it on my podcast uh, because I, I, I had just been so busy. But Tushishvili was suspended by the International Judo Federation for two months following an issue with regards to him competing in what I believe to be is the Kurash World Championships, which is a, a style of wrestling that actually looks pretty similar to judo in terms of how you win. I don't know much about Kurash. Really, I, I hardly know anything at all other than what I've seen. And But what's interesting is that it, it, apart from the different colored jackets and the red belt that they wear, it, Kurash competitions really look like judo. Uh, as we see it on the IGF World Tour, I know you cannot grab the legs in Karash. And the objective is to throw uh, your opponent with a high amplitude throw. I mean, that's that's what I found from just doing a cursory glance on uh, on YouTube and, and searching online. So apparently Guram Vili competed in a Karash event, I believe the World Championships. And um, he had done so without the permission of the IGF. Now, if you guys aren't aware... 
IJF World Tour athletes, ones that are really high ranking, and in you know Tushishvili, he's the uh, the world champion. You have to get permission from the IJF in order to compete in events outside of IJF World Tour events and and I, uh, events spawn, events that are judo specific because. And, and I got a lot of flack for this when I when I supported the IJF's uh, decision to suspend Tushishvili. You know, the IJF as as an international organization has to look after the best interests of the national governing bodies. And Guram Tushishvili represents a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources invested by the Georgian Judo Federation. And God forbid something something really devastating happens to Tushishvili competing in a tournament that was not judo related. I mean, that that would be devastating for the Georgian uh, national team where unlike in the United States, you know, winning, you know, winning the world championships for judo in Georgia is a pretty big freaking deal. And just like it is for many other countries uh, on the other side of the world there, it's a big deal winning judo, winning the world championships, winning grand slam events. So, you know, the Georgian Judo Federation has a vested interest in Guram Tushishvili. So as a result, you have the IJF also having a vested interest in the Georgian Judo Federation and the athletes on the IJF World Tour. So, you know, I I kind of, when the story broke, I, I supported the IJF's decision to suspend Tushishvili if he didn't get permission. And, you know, I got a lot of flack for that online. Hell, even... Even that meme account, Judoka Problems, made fun of me. But I stand by it because, well, in in my view, it's not very different from, you know, a, a, an NBA basketball player having a clause in his contract to not ride motorcycles. The national governing body and the International Judo Federation has a vested interest to make sure that their athletes are protected. And does that come down to the money? Of course it does. But Tushishvili is, I don't, I mean, I don't know his finances, but unlike... People on, you know, Team USA, for example, or some of the other countries, he is a professional judo player. He does get paid um, by the national team to compete in judo competitions. So I completely understand the IJF's position, even though it's not a popular one with people who feel that uh, international players should be able to compete in whatever tournaments they wish. And I know I know Travis Stevens had this issue uh, uh, quite a long time ago with him wanting to compete in certain Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments and he got he requested permission from the International Judo Federation and they said no. Now, I don't know if the reasons for uh, the IJF saying no were, were similar and I doubt that when Travis was competing for Team USA that his support structure was similar to what uh, people in Georgia, particularly uh, Tushishvili um, experience. I'm sure it's not as good, but... Um, Travis experienced the same type of thing. He he requested. They told him no. And from what I understand, that was that. He He's competing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments now, as I understand it. So regardless of all of that, the reason why I brought this up is that Tushishvili is finally off suspension. He captured the gold medal in the plus 100 kilo division at the European Open, which is being held in uh, Cluj, Romania. And he defeated um, hometown boy, uh, Mircea Kroitoru. Now, I don't mean to say hometown boy, but the hometown hero, let's just say. Some of the some of the other results coming in from the European Open, and this is coming from judoinside.com. Um, apparently, Tushishvili was not the only uh, person from Georgia to win gold. Four gold medals for Georgia. 
on Sunday, three gold for the Italian men on Saturday. Elios uh, Manzi won his his under 60 kilo division. The 2016 Olympian faded away on the IGF World Ranking, but this victory will give him some confidence just like in 2016. He can make a fast move forward as in Italy in the under 60 kilo division is still totally open. Manuel Lombardo is ruling the under 66 kilo division, but in Cluj, uh, Biagio uh, Stefanelli won the gold against Matteo Piras in an all-Italian bout. Loic Corval celebrated his return with a bronze medal together with Frenchman uh, Robin Corrado. In France, uh, Kylian Lebloche has his has the best papers for qualification for the games in 2020, but Corval is still ambitious after we thought his career was over and he converted into a coach. Looking at this quickly, under 73 kilo division was won by Leonardo uh, uh, Casaglia of Italy. Vladimir Alcazzi won the under 81 kilo. He's out of Georgia. And let's see here. Um, Onis Saneblizzi of Georgia uh, won the plus, uh, won the, under 100 kilo division against Miklos Sergenics. Um And I believe those are the results that I have for now coming out of the European Open. Now, I the European Open is not a contest that I typically cover, but I, I do follow Gurum Tushishvili's career, and I just happened to get the Twitter notification from Judo Inside that he published a new article, so I was kind of reading that on the fly. All right. I think it's about time for me to wrap things up. I've been going a, an hour plus strong on this on this episode. So let's see. Do I got anything else to cover? Uh, let's see. The USA Judo Team Championships. Da, da, da. No, I, I think I got it all. I think it's time for me to shut up. So I'm going to get out of here. Hope you all have a great day. Hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Oh.